Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in, listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Stay seated just for a second, okay, because some of you will hop up. You think you got this routine down. Um, for those of you that, that are here for the first time or watching online, we do a Bible confession. How many of you know that your words give direction to your life? People say, well, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we'll follow through the things that we say. And uh, so the idea is that when we do the Bible confession, you following through with the Word of God and what we're, we're confessing. And so it's not a freaky thing. It's just really good sometimes to have routines that remind us of things. All right? So let's now stand. Hold our Bibles up, your iPhone, iPad, whatever you have. Cup your hand if you don't have any of those things. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. And I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. And I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, today we're starting a new series entitled, Guess What? And most people live their whole lives in what I call this guess what mode of, of just people guessing. Just, just, you know, people wanting you to guess. I know we've all had somebody come up to us and say, hey, hey, guess what? And they'll give you person, place, things, categories, nothing, and you just randomly go off guessing, and many people live their Christian life that way. Is it's just guessing? I wonder. I wonder who God is. I. Some people say, I wonder who created God. Now I just opened a real can of worms. You know, where did God come from? Uh, you know, all these questions that we have, and there are so many questions uh, that we we really can't answer all of the questions that we might have, uh, but we need to answer the ones that we can. And the Bible is oftentimes very very clear on certain things and some things it's it's not clear on and and we may never have complete clarity on certain questions that we we might have for instance a man asked me one time he said i i was uh at a funeral and it was my family it was a family member and and uh we were in the the card with a, a one of my family members and she asked so what happens when we die uh, immediately when we die, and then uh, he goes, well, my understanding is that, you know, the Bible says that when the thief was on the cross, the right of Jesus, and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus responded, today you shall be with me in paradise, indicating that in that moment, once we leave this earth, that we are with God. To be absent from the body, Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. That's fairly clear. Now, here's a follow-up question. There's always that question behind the question. So, now, let's say we're with Jesus, but we're buried and on earth, and the Bible says that when he returns, we'll be caught up with him in the air. So do we get our body back? What happens? Well, see, some of y'all think you already got this figured out. 
but, but the reality is, the Bible says when we get to heaven, there will be no sickness, no sorrow, no tears. So you'll have this new body. So mortality gives way to immortality. But we don't know how that happens. And are we just going to, like, spirits come and, you know, anyway, uh, you get the picture. Uh, there's some guessing that happens. Now, with that, the problem is most people are asking questions that don't need to be answered. It's kind of like you're a teenager. Like at 15, why can't I have keys to the car? Really? You think that's a question you need to be asking right now, knucklehead? Why can't you make your bed? That's the question we need to be answering right up in here. You know, so, so the problem is we ask questions that we know nobody can give the answer to. If they can't give the answer to it, then we can quit, keep being stupid. So <clears throat> today the goal is to try to remove some of the guessing out of our faith, okay? That's, that's the goal here. Is some of the basic questions are what I call vertical and horizontal. They're vertical questions like, how do I get to heaven? That's a vertical question. And oftentimes, if you grew up in church, you may not know the answer to that question because religion has, for some reason, taught us that getting to heaven has everything to do with how well we perform on earth. And quite frankly, it's very biblically clear that that's not the case. That is a horizontal situation, how well you did on earth. The vertical answer is, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who cleanses us from all unrighteousness? He does. You can take all the showers you want to take, but that doesn't help your dirty self. It's Him, when we confess, who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. There are going to be people in heaven, I can assure you, that you will think you couldn't even walk through the doors of a church. How did you end up here? Because we don't understand or comprehend how God works. The Bible says His ways are higher than ours. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So oftentimes, our thoughts lead us to measure people and measure people against their behavior instead of their confession. Now, granted, when we receive Christ, the idea of receiving Christ is for us to begin to go from where we are to where we want to be. Or the Bible says to go from glory to glory, that we are growing in our relationship with Christ and that we are developing in our soul so that things that once bothered us no longer bother us. People that we once couldn't forgive, we can now forgive. Certainly, when Christ comes to live in us, that's the hope of glory. And the power of heaven is now resident in us to live a better life. However, we go back to the vertical. If someone has made Christ the Lord of their life, they're going to heaven even if you don't like them. And, and I know how we pray. We go to God and say, but God, they've been mean to me. They've been stupid, and I don't want them in heaven. So you've cast your vote for them to go to hell. Fortunately, heaven is not a democracy. Otherwise, none of us would get there. It's because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So some of us live our whole lives guessing because we were taught in the old school church, that if we were not in church, every time the doors opened, 
that it w- there would be a slim chance that we would go to heaven. I used to always dread Sundays if I missed church, thinking that if the rapture came, I wouldn't go because I wasn't in church. Look, I'm a pastor. I want you in church. I believe the church exists for uh, several reasons. One is faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. We need to be together. We need to assemble. The Bible says uh, that, that we should never forsake the assemblies of ourselves together as we see the day drawing near that we should be in church. But the church is not what takes you to heaven. The church disseminates information that helps you to bring heaven to earth. That's what church is about. And so I believe that we need to be here. I believe it's healthy. I believe it's better uh, than soup for your soul. I believe it's uh, the word for your life. And that, that we need to be able to answer questions. So if somebody came up to you today and they're guessing, they're wondering, what does it take for me to get to heaven? The answer, the question I would ask in this place, and not in a mean-spirited way, but what would your answer be to someone? Would it be, well... Or do you go to church? That's not the question. The question we ask in response to their question is, have you ever repented for your sin? Have you ever called on the name of the Lord? It's a real simple response, and it's a real clear response that the Bible gives us. One of my college professors, uh, theological professors, uh, made this statement to us in class one day that made everything Uh, clear to me. He said, always interpret the vague passages of Scripture in light of the clear. So the clear passages are that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Anybody who calls on his name is going to be saved. That's what the Bible says. It's clear. Wouldn't you say? Now, that, and, and so he forgives us and cleanses us. Now, so what we have to ask in response is, have you asked Jesus to forgive you for your sin? That's takes all the guessing out of it unless you keep going to the same church you went to, which is the church I grew up in. That every Sunday, the job of the pastor was to scare us back into church next Sunday. Like, if you're not here and the rapture comes, will you go to heaven? That's the question. I know the answer, but I'm not giving it till next week. So the idea is... It's kind of like keeping you on the hamster wheel for the wrong reason. Now, I, I like the fact that you're in church, but I want you to come because you're going to get information that could possibly revolutionize your life and help you live a more joyful life, a life of peace, uh, a life that is productive and, and interesting and fun. That's what I want for you. Now, there are some vague passages, and I want to bring that up so you'll understand That, that sometimes, and we wonder about these things, and we're never going to get the answer. So like a lot of people say, well, what if I'm not baptized? And th this is the, the question oftentimes religious people say, well, you know, if you're not baptized, maybe you won't go to heaven. What did I just say? All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, baptism is an outward expression of an inward experience. Being baptized, I believe, is important. I do. However, Jesus really kind of wrecked this whole thing. And he's okay with me saying this. I know he is. When he's hanging on the cross, you remember that, that moment when he's hanging there, and, and the, the thief that was convicted, guilty of a crime, he knew it. And when Jesus responded, 
when he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, messed everything up. Because I know he didn't climb down off the cross and get baptized. You see what I'm saying? So you can go home to all your denominational religious family and tell them I said this. And they will hate the church you go to and the pastor that preaches. Look, here's, here's the reality. And, and I just heard this Wednesday night, and it made perfect sense to me. A guy at tents here, we were talking in the lobby, and he said, you know, there were a couple of things I've heard that really made sense to me. And he said, I just want to share one of them with you. He shared it with me. He said, you know the number one reason that people don't go to church? Because they've gone before. You're slower than the 930 crowd. They got it. Because they've gone before. They've heard things before that not only didn't bring them hope, but made them feel hopeless and worthless. You see, the Bible in Isaiah, uh, in the Old Testament, says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So in other words, and also says, there is no one good, not even one. So when we hear that, religious people jump on that and say, we're nothing but scum of the earth and we're worms. When they say that, they have left Christ out of the equation. When Jesus came, he absorbed every sin, past, present, and future, and he took the righteousness that we had that was as filthy rags, took it upon himself, rose from the dead, redeemed and made new, and all of a sudden now we become the righteousness of God in Christ. So now I'm not righteous because I'm good. I'm not right because... I do right. I'm right because I accepted the one who did right and became righteous. And now I'm the righteousness of God in him. When I was young, I just heard of the righteous brothers. And I thought if I could just become a righteous brother, we'd all be righteous. (laughs) I was figuring out a way to be righteous. I couldn't find a way. But I thought if I could just be a righteous brother, (laughs) everything would be all right. And I didn't realize the only way I could ever become a righteous brother is through Christ. That I could never be good enough. I would never earn my way to heaven. But I could bring heaven to earth by accepting Christ who came to earth to die for my sins. It's the great guessing game that most people have. Well, I've talked to people before. They said, well, you know, I've just done too much and, and God could never forgive me. Okay, so you've just exalted your sin above his forgiveness. Who do you think I'm going to believe? There is no way you can outsin the cross. I don't know what it is with mankind, but for some reason, we think that we're bigger and stronger than the creator of heaven and earth. Now, you say, well, what's the difference in someone who is in Christ and not in Christ? Well, everyone has the same creator, whether they believe it or not. And he goes, listen to this, he goes from being our creator to being our father when we accept his son. So everybody on earth is created by the same creator. The difference is they've not accepted their adoption into the family of God by accepting Christ. That's how we get into the family of God. We don't get into it. We are born into it when we accept Christ. Now, these are some basic truths, but the reality is oftentimes we preach about all the wonderful things without laying the foundation of how in the world do I get to heaven? How in the world do I get heaven to earth? 
Because when Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he is saying, I want you to realize I am present in the person of the Holy Spirit. I exist and live in you and around you. I still have influence in the world. And when I say influence, I use that word very carefully because I want you to understand he has authority for those who give him the right to have authority. You wonder why there's no authority in your life. It's not because he's withholding authority. It's because we're withholding ourselves from his authority. So now all of a sudden I've been bought with a price. I realize my life no longer belongs to me. So every decision I make has to go through my daddy. God will not take authority, but he will receive authority. He will not take authority over your life until you give him authority in your life. And so you wonder why your life continues to just be wandering along, playing the guessing game without making any decisions. We are afraid. We're fearful. This is what religion does. It scares mankind to death. Because we have, we have answered questions nobody's asking, and we've answered questions, quite frankly, that I don't believe have any answers to them because we're not wise enough. People argue over things like baby baptism, baby dedication, all those things. I say sprinkle them, dip them, dedicate them. And if they need it twice, do it again. You ain't going to hell for doing too much. And then we lie to people. Parents just lie. I am a parent, so I can say that. Don't get mad at me. He called us liars. Called himself one, too. You told your kids there was a little fat guy in a red suit this time of year. Yeah, there is. They're all over the freaking world. This time of year, they're fat, fake beards, really worn out and tattered uniforms, and we call him Santa Claus. Look, let's go see Santa Claus. He's coming and going to break into our house. Guess what? People who break into your house on December 24th are not there to give you anything. <laughs> and so we, we do these things all in the name of tradition and fun. And yet when my mother told me when I was young, cleanliness is next to godliness. She just did that to get me in the bathtub. <laughs> Scared the hell out of me to get me clean. Then I grew up and it found out it wasn't in the Bible. I took all those baths for nothing. And since we were poor, they even changed scripture to tell me why we were poor. They said money is the root of all evil. I believed it. But everybody who had it seemed to be happier than me. Kind of made me want to be evil. <laughs> Look, they're having fun. They're going to hell, but they're having a great time. What my mama didn't tell me was, it was the love of money that was the root of all evil. You see what I'm saying? So, not understanding the Bible keeps you guessing and believing things that will get you off course. And religion does that. Well, look at you. You messed up again. 
I mean, these people standing on the street corners, they don't do this much anymore because I don't know why they don't, but I'm glad they don't. You know, turn or burn. I want to turn over and start a fire right next to them. So let's just burn together then. We have, we have just made God out to be this just real evil creature, this deity in heaven that like has a magnifying glass over ants. I'm sure PETA has stopped that now too. Protect the ants. <laughs> Basically, what I'm saying is a lot of people go to church not because of faith, but because of fear. They don't know what they don't know, and nobody's telling them what they don't know. So the idea is to start knowing what we don't know, but we can't ask questions to know what we don't know because we don't know what we don't know. So how can I find out what I don't know? I can get around people I don't know. I don't know. So the Bible answers a lot of questions and it creates a lot more questions if you read it. And that's okay. I just know this, that I used to argue about things that didn't matter. You know, there are people that have all these different groups of people going to hell if you're associated with a group of people. Listen, God's not coming back for the Baptist. Stop, because I know this will be taken. He's not coming back for the assembly of God. He's not coming back for the Nazarenes, the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, Catholics, the Buddhists, the bicycle. Anyway, he ain't coming back for groups. He's coming back for individuals. And just, I mean, there are people that had my whole denomination going to hell. There were times I thought we were in hell, but I didn't know we were going to hell. I mean, because the preacher foamed at the mouth, sweated, sprayed, and told us all how bad we were. Now go home and serve the Lord. Yeah, that's what I want to do. God's mad. Every Sunday I knew he was mad because the preacher was mad. I just wanted a happy preacher. So I decided to become one myself. <laughs> Why? Because I know God is a good God. That's what the Bible, he's a good God. And if you don't grasp that, some people want God, feel better about God getting on to them, thinking God's, God's not getting on to you. God's on your side. He's in your corner. And the real challenge here is getting to know what you don't know. And when you come to church, some of you have never heard what I've already said this morning. And some of you still didn't hear what I said. But some of you have never heard this one. When I first heard, God is a good God, I went, heresy? I did. Because the God I had heard preach my whole life, he was anything but good. We were all going to hell and God was happy about it. Yeah, you get what you deserve, you slime. You like that, John? I love you, man. John John's been in my corner for so many years, hadn't you, buddy? I love you. love you. God is a good God. And if you've not heard that before, somebody says, well, why is this happening? Why is there are answers I can't give you. 
We live in a fallen world. People have the power to make their own decisions. Why? It's called the free will. And oftentimes people exercise their free will and it affects our will. But our, we know this. Here's what we do know. I know what I do know. And I do know this. The Bible says that we are to forgive and will be forgiven. You say, but I don't want to do that. But it's what I do know. And you know what? We're not responsible for what we don't know. We are responsible for what we do know. So many people live a life of ignorance. As a result of that, their life is void of any joy, happiness, peace, or heaven because they've not heard how to get free. I talked to a man who's had cancer, back surgeries, went bankrupt. I mean, the list goes on. He said, why? What, what is my story? I said, your story is, have you... Quit on God. I asked him, is he quit on No, I haven't. Have you gotten bitter? No. I said, there's your story. I said, we can't always explain why the things that happened to you happened, but there's one thing that I could take from your story is this, that you refused to get mad at God. You refused to quit. You refused to get bitter. You took what you knew to be true, and you decided to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and not lean into your own understanding in all of your ways acknowledge him. You decided to do that. That's a testimony to people who don't understand God. We're always looking at the things that didn't happen that we thought should have happened. Quite frankly, the hardest thing is not living life by I don't know what I don't know, but living life by I do know what I do know. And I do know what my response is to someone who comes and hits me on one cheek. The Bible says turn and let him hit you on the other one. I do know that. Now, I don't always like that, but I do know that. Hello? And that, that, you know what? Bless those who persecute you. See, these are things that we know. And we need to do what we know to do. But the problem is we start asking questions that have no relevance to our lives. Because when we get to know a truth, we must live the truth. To him who knows the right thing to do and to him who doesn't do it, to him it's sin. So when I find out information and I know what I do know, then I become responsible for what I know to do. To love my neighbor as I love myself. These are all things that are difficult. So a lot of people believe ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance will kill you. Proverbs 4, 7, the Bible says, the beginning of wisdom. Now, this is strange. The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. Okay, so the beginning of wisdom is to get wisdom. That's wisdom. Though it costs you all, gain understanding. So a life that has no wisdom and no understanding is an unstable life. The Bible calls it in the book of James that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. What creates a double-mindedness oftentimes is our ignorance about truth. And we live in a world that is dying for lack of truth. The reality is we say what we think someone else wants us to say because we don't want to hurt their feelings I've often worded it this way if you really love someone and you're standing on a street corner and you see something they don't see and they're about to step off the curb in front of a truck are you going to sit there and go well it's none of my business no you're going to save their life now that's an extreme example but another example is this 
you need to tell people things that will help them become better people. A pastor of mine one time said these words. He was in a board meeting and, and uh, he had a pretty large board. And, and one of the, the, the members, board members was absent. And one of the other board members began to talk about that board member. Now let me tell you what you would typically hear someone do is kind of go along with the conversation because it might even have a component of truth in it. But the Bible tells us to speak well of people, to encourage them. So this pastor didn't react, but he did respond when that conversation began to unfold and evolve. He looked at the board and he said, gentlemen, let me say this to you. He must be as safe in his absence as he is in our presence. That was a very polite way of saying, shut up. The Bible calls it gossip. And let me tell you something. Gossip is worse for you than a bucket of fried chicken. People go around in the name of, I want things. I just think you need to know. I just want you to submit it to prayer. No, you don't. You just want to gossip. You got to get this. You got to let somebody else know what you know. And so it's what we call political correctness. And political correctness is destroying not only society, but the church. Because we don't tell the truth. When I was pastoring thousands of people, and some of you will recall, I would stand at the front door after every service. You remember that? It was like a forever deal. And you know why I did that? I did that because there was no way that I could even go out to eat with my servant leaders or my staff if I took 365 days in a year, that would give me 365 families that I could eat dinner with. And I have no idea why people wanted to eat dinner with me, and I never wanted to anyway because for some reason they think pastors don't burp. It's like you have this idea that we're like some somebody special and that... You know, we just don't have anything like that going on. So I thought, well, that'll let them down for sure. You know, like finding out their pastor has issues. I probably have more issues than you. That's why I'm up here and you're not. <laughs> God's going to share the issues with them. Tell them how you deal with your issues. You got more than they do. They'll feel good about themselves if they hear you. <laughs> and so I'm standing at the front door one Sunday and and this, this lady and her husband would always come. They were very kind. They were very sweet. And every week I could tell she would they say something like, you know, man, we'd love to get together, you know, and that. And I, it's good to see you. Glad you're here today. And finally, one day, I guess she built up the courage and she said, what could we do to get to know you better? Well, you know, I'm thinking as a pastor, there are a lot of answers to that. Like, well, you know, someday or call the office or we'll try to make it work. And I thought... In my mind, I'm going, I ain't ever going out to eat with y'all. It just ain't happening. I don't know you, and quite frankly, I don't want to get to know you. I'm sure you're wonderful. I really, I'm thinking this in my mind. So I'm thinking, how do I respond to this? And I know that I'm blessing a lot of you today and making you want to come back, but... I'm just trying to be real. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on, man. 
I mean, I don't know who these people are. I mean, they might get mad at me for any number of things, especially if I burp. And I just looked back at her because I thought, I want to be honest. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever had the people who would love to get with you sometime, and they walk away and look at their spouse and go, that ain't ever happening. I think, well, how bad is this? You know, why don't we just be honest, you know? And so I looked at her, and she says, what, what can we do to get to know you better? I looked back, and I said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> There's not one thing you can do to get to know me better. And then I burped. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> The point is this, that we are so unstable and indecisive in all of our ways that we are unstable and we're not helping anybody. We just keep people guessing. We live in a guessing and a wondering world. And, and we leave everybody, everything up in the air. And you know, if you could just, here's the thing, it liberates you to be truthful in a kind way. It's liberating. Say, so, you know what? You are so precious. If I'd had time, I am so honored that you want to get to know me. If I would have had time, there would have been thousands of people behind her. I would have said, I'm so honored that you want to get to know me. But you know, my life and my schedule is such that that's probably not going to happen. And besides, I think you'd be really disappointed. Because I think your expectation of wanting to get to know me without what I really love is probably just some kind of false expectation because I'm as big an idiot as the guy sitting next to you this morning in church. I just have the microphone. That's our only difference. We both need a Savior. We're going to hell without him. Yeah, really, that's all we are. You know, I mean, you'd really be disappointed. You can ask some of my friends. They're disappointed that they're my friends. But we've been friends for so long, they decided just to keep it going. <laughs> so we live our whole lives going, what, what, what if? What about? Find the things. Find the simple truths and the simple answers and quit living your life guessing. I know what I don't know. I don't know how to be a surgeon. I don't know how to do a lot of things. I know those things. When you get secure in yourself and you get in a secure relationship with Christ, people can say things to you that don't bother you anymore. I know I'm not everybody's thing. I know that I, people say, well, I, I didn't mean to hurt you. You can't hurt my feelings because I'm not going to let you. And it's not your fault if you do. It's my fault if you do. Because I accepted something you said as truth that might not have been. Or if I accept it as truth and it is true, then I thank you for saying that because it will change my life. You see, we're afraid of information because information will make us responsible. So we just live in a life of I don't know what I don't know and I don't ever want to know it. I don't want you to make me better. I don't want to get better. So we just live in this world outside and we keep guessing. It's what I call the might world. Well, I might. It's possible. And so we keep people on the leash by telling them things that we think they want to hear. You see, Joshua looked and he said these words, and then I'm going to close. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
say, why would I say that? Because double-minded people go, eh, do we go to church? Do we not go to church? Do we serve the Lord? Do we not serve the Lord? When's the last time you said, eh, tomorrow's Monday. I might go to work. I might not. No, you're going to work. See, but, but we treat God with this might mentality. I might love the Lord today. I might not. I might forgive. I might not. We got to get out of this and quit being unstable in all of our ways and say, you know what? I'm going to become an I will Christian. I will love with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will forgive. I will love. I will be kind. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to make a statement. I'm not going to live my life guessing and wondering. It changes everything. But pride is the enemy of your destiny. Pride is the enemy of your destiny. You're too good to say, I'm sorry. You think you're, you're too right. You'd rather be right than repentant. And if you never repent and you never say, I'm sorry, you're not going to have any friends. And if you do, they're not going to be good friends. Because everybody wants to be right all the time. During my sabbatical, there was one thing I learned in my life. I had not said, I'm sorry, near enough. I'm sorry doesn't mean that I'm right or wrong. It means that you feel wronged. And I'm sorry for that. You see, we have decisions to make. The problem is we haven't had enough knowledge. We haven't pursued enough knowledge or wisdom or understanding to live lives that are effective, happy, fulfilled. So I challenge us today to find truth, to get wisdom, get understanding. It'll cost you everything. Not being tentative about what you're going to do with your relationship with God. Every Sunday I get up and pray, God, I pray for those who know they're supposed to be at Mosaic. They know it. They know what they do know, but they're not doing it. Those who are at Mosaic and supposed to serve, they know it, but they're not doing it. Because let me tell you, the hardest thing in life is to know what you know, but go against what you know. I know I'm supposed to forgive. I have to get up every day and do it. There are people supposed to be in Mosaic every week, and they haven't for whatever reason. And you know what? Until we obey God, we're miserable. We're miserable. January 3rd, 2016, when God said, go back to Oklahoma City and start a church, everything in me said, get thee behind me, Satan. I don't want to go back where the wind comes sweeping down the plains. And it snows on Monday. And it's cold and I'm old. And You know, there is something to this thin skin thing. I'm just telling you, you young people, you're so thick skinned. And you're just all insulated with fat and skin and all that stuff. I should have said fat skin. But you get older and it thins out and it's like a knife. I didn't feel like it problem is we live in a feeling society I don't feel like forgiving I don't feel like loving I don't feel like going to church I don't feel I don't feel I don't feel we gotta quit living life by feelings and start getting wisdom and understanding and knowledge and obey those truths quit guessing you don't have to guess about things that Jesus made very clear if somebody asks you to go a mile go to somebody asks for your shirt give them your coat 
Somebody hits you on one cheek, turn, say, here's my other one. Let's make a match. Make both my cheeks red. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for making it so clear and so easy. And yet we complicate your word and we complicate Christianity by creating our own challenges and asking questions that are not even important. And we do it, God, because the easy questions will require us something of us, responsible behavior, forgiving, loving, caring, kindness. When we find out those truths and we, we have to crush our pride to do them, God, it's a challenge. The only way we crucify our flesh, God, is to turn to you and repent and say, God, show me grace. And with God, when you show us grace and you fill us with grace, we can disperse grace and we can give grace. When you show us love, we can give love. When you show us mercy, we can give mercy. With every head bowed and every eye closed, those of you that say, I've not accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I want to. I want to pray with you. This takes courage. What you're admitting today is I need Jesus. I can't make it without Jesus. Please pray for me. If that's you today and you say, please pray for me, just slip your hand up, put it right back down quickly. Just say, hey, I need help. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Over here, thank you. Thank you. So many of you today that have lifted your hand say, yes, thank you. More of you, thank you. And you know, and I'm not going to point you out, stand you up, nothing like that. The reason I had you do that, because what you're saying is, this is the beginning of my admission as a human being that I need Jesus in my life. Those of you watching online, there are many of you watching online, and today you know, as I look into this camera, you know that you need Jesus Christ. I want you to lift your hand right there in your house, your apartment, wherever you might be, and just put it right back down, just acknowledging, I need Jesus. Now I want all of us to pray this, and those of you watching online, say, Jesus, say, Jesus, today I repent of my sin. I confess I need you. So I ask you today to forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for being true to your word. Amen.